Welcome to the Designing Hollywood Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Meyer Burnett. The Designing Hollywood Podcast is dedicated to all things movies, the movie industry, and its talented professionals. Today's episode is sponsored by the United American Costume Company. Our guest today is an Emmy Award-winning and groundbreaking costume designer who has built a long and illustrious career. She is known most recently for her work as the costume designer for The Queen's Gambit, for which she won the 2020 Costume Designers Guild Award for Excellence in Period Television and earned her an Emmy for Outstanding Period Costumes. Without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome to the Designing Hollywood podcast the talented Emmy Award-winning costume designer, Gabrielle Binder. Thank you, Robert, for having me. I'm very happy to talk to you today. I have to say, I was very excited to find out that you work with Vim Vendors on Far Away So Close. And I, I have to ask you, one of the things about both uh, Wings of Desire and, and, and Far Away So Close is Berlin was such a character in those films because in Wings of Desire the wall hadn't come down yet and then with Far Away So Close the wall had come down and Berlin was was a united city again and obviously Far Away So Close had dealt with the difficulty in in doing that I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about what it was like working on on Far Away So Close yeah in Far Away So Close, the city had a really big role and the city was amazing in this time because uh, suddenly the wall was gone and there was so much space. All this space where the wall had been was suddenly open space and there were so many buildings where something should have been in and they were not in the best state. And they are now mega places today. But in this time, they were like, oh, this house is empty. We could shoot there. Oh, this house is empty. We could <laughs> shoot there. Oh, there's a few. You know, so uh, it was so rich what you found where nobody ever had uh, was been shooting before. And even after, because just after it was rebuilt to, some, to something more chic and beautiful and livable. But um, that was a time when everything was very, very open and uh, very inspiring. And that was one of the first films that you'd worked on, wasn't it? Yeah, that was, uh, I was there as an assistant to my friend Esther Wiles. And um, that was my first costume experience. I had worked before in the art department, but um, I realized that the art department is dealing with those heavy materials, let's say, right. <laughs> and that was not so much my um, my my thing. And I, I had no architectural background, so I, I realized that um, that could not be my way. And then, how did you make your way from working on something like Far Away So Close to winding up working with Philip Ridley on uh, The Passion of Darkly Noon? How did you become the costume designer on on that film? Um, I think I was very lucky there because I had not too much experience and they lost their costume designer because I think he, he couldn't handle that she only gave him drawings and he wanted to see real life. And I worked in this time a lot as a stylist and I could do you really quickly moods of real life for whatever you wanted. So uh, I showed him something and he said, this is you, you make this. So, uh, yeah, that, that was a big jump for me. And, you know, it was with Viggo Mortensen and Ashley Judd and Brendan Fraser and uh, all those great people. And it was a small movie, of course, but um, they loved Philip Ridley's work and his weird fantasies. Were you a movie fan? Did you grow up watching a lot of films? Did you go to the cinema? Yeah, absolutely. And in in my youth, I was absolutely a fan of Nouvelle Vague, uh, French Nouvelle yeah. Vague, and also all Italians, Federico Fellini and Pasolini and so on. But I had also some American movies that I couldn't forget. And one of this what is most influential 
to me, I think is uh, still until today, Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. Uh, with, Ron Vo- with Ron Void and Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. And uh, Anne Ross uh, did their one of her early costume works. And the camera loved every single millimeter of her work. And it was shown in such a beautiful way. And they didn't do costume changes. I mean, they did some, but not too many. So it, it's uh, digging in your uh, brain and stay there forever because they looked how they looked and they were how they looked. And that was it. So that was always in my memory that I want to work on one costume, one show. <laughs> and <laughs> I saw it. And I had a bit of a kind of chance in uh, the life of others. Yes. I, I was going to say, because they, they wore sort of a uniform, you know, the, the intelligence yeah. officers. <laughs> yeah, but everybody, uh, all the men had only one or maybe two costume changes and uh i i tried this idea before with other directors and everybody said how stupid is this and of course we want to see different uh, costumes in the show but florian when i said what about they are as they are and they stay as they are and if they change we change the costume but if they stay as they are we don't change the costume he said great go for that and uh that was uh let's say my quotation or the idea was uh, soon in me with the Midnight Cowboy. And that was uh, the first time I had the chance. <laughs> wow, I love that. I mean, I love that you were inspired by Midnight Cowboy, obviously a, a famous film. I think it was the first, in America, the movie was actually rated X. So it was it was silly to rate it X, but it, I think it was the first X, the only X rated movie that won an Academy Award for Best Picture. Oh. And yeah, um, yeah, which is such a funny we you know Americans are crazy. We're we're a little weird when it comes to that kind of thing. But uh, what a great movie to be inspired by. I mean, one of the most iconic jackets in all of yeah, Hollywood absolutely. history is John Voight's jacket in that film. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so if you're going to be inspired by, I can understand that. Well, getting into the is is the. Uh, is the German industry, the film industry in Germany, is it something that was easy to get into? Was it easy to work your way up? Or was it? Is there a, a lot of people competing? No, actually, it's either easy nor difficult. Uh, it's, uh, the industry uh, is mostly producing independent movies. Right. I mean, what you call independent movies are, for us, very often some of our big movies (laughs) so we don't have big budgets and uh, so it's mostly difficult to realize ideas what you have because you must cook them down that they fit in the budget in the end and then Mm. it's maybe not so visually rich as you thinking when you start uh, well, I'm curious too. Like you mentioned, um, uh, and this was surprising to me. A, f- a few of the costume designers I've spoken to talk about, like you said, you studied art history. That going in and and especially for period pieces, that museums, going into museums and looking at the paintings from hundreds of years ago was a great way to get a sense of fabric and color and the kinds of things that people actually wore because. We didn't have photographs then. They were captured on, on canvas. And was, was art history something that you studied a lot? Yeah, you know, I think art history and movie are very, very close connected because uh, we also make pictures, only we make living pictures. So I think uh, I always try to refer to some pictures when I think about colors or also when I talk to the scenographer, I'm always uh, in this idea, we make together this picture and in the end there uh, must be something pictural uh, and not only storytelling. Uh, The storytelling is the very important moment, but you must have 
you must also stop and say, wow, this picture is it. Uh, and so, so we are in the in the line of creating pictures. So um, it's it's very helpful to know about art, to be an art, and to have this interest and love for art, and um, not only for research. Uh, I go very often uh, to see new art or any kind of art uh, to get inspired. Yeah, and I. I... To oh. jump right and left, because also if you do something historical, it can be helpful if you jump in fashion and in art and in nature and something and bring all this together to have something interesting and not only this from the pictures, what we already know. Yeah, I, I mean, I've I've been fascinated by that, talking to other costume designers, how much uh, art has played a part in your inspiration and in terms of finding things like the, f the fabrics from certain things and and um, uh, colors and and how designers do you have designers or do you have people around the world that you consult with like um, tailors for instance that know what kind of fabrics you prefer are there places you go to like a a dressmaker in Italy or someplace in France to get what it is that you need yeah, I have some places, but mainly I have my wonderful dressmaker. She actually lives in Prague, Elena mm. Trojanova, uh, and uh, I try to have her on every project because, um, you know, she she is so experienced in all time and she has a very fine sense for fashions and for haute couture. And even if we make something for some countryside girls, we think about what would Dior have done in this moment and then we <laughs> bring this Dior to very low in a, a very different fabric and only she and me, we know that it was a Dior inspiration. <laughs> but um, that's fun and in in the other way, it looks more interesting than, than the simple countryside thing. Sure. And nobody will ever know that it was a Dior inspiration. I swear this. <laughs> <laughs> well, are there other? You talked about uh, Midnight Cowboy. I'm curious. I, I mean, I love the idea that you you like the the French New Wave and and um, um, were you a fan of of like Truffaut and Godard, like movies like Jules and Jim? And did you watch? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, all the early Godards they were groundbreaking for. Uh, how to tell a story and uh, how straight, how simple, how surprising and how uh, different uh, he used the medium. Uh, that, that, that's still um, always in my references if I think about uh, what could be interesting. And I, I think uh, this, uh, what I always try to surprise myself because uh, if I can surprise myself, I think it's also surprising for somebody else. And I think Godard had a lot of surprises in his work. And I guess it was surprises they came out in the work and they were not absolutely planned. Mm. And this openness uh, uh, is, is very good uh, if you can bring this in your work. Uh, no, absolutely. And then you also mentioned Fellini. Um, I, I think in terms of fashion and costume design, Fellini did some groundbreaking stuff in his work. Um, yeah. Are there favorites of Fellini's that you could you could tell us about? I mean, just recently I watched Roma and mm. I realized that I nearly had forgotten Roma and I thought is this crazy how could he and you know it was all from his neighborhood and something from his friend and he was drawing all the time and if somebody with strange face sit opposite to him he immediately makes the drawing so he had such a rich uh, uh rich treasure of uh taking things out because i think he was such a good drawer so uh yeah yeah he he was in a really good way crazy and very human and uh i, I liked him yeah I, i'm i'm a huge fan as well um now obviously one of the things that i watched myself that i was just it, i was knocked out by the queen's gambit 
I mean, I you know one of the things that that immediately I was struck by is the design, the, especially the costume design. The whole film was. It's just, I mean, the, the whole series, all seven episodes were incredible. I mean, just incredible. And obviously you had one of the most, Anya Taylor-Joy is one of the most interesting actresses working today. And I'm just curious about, could you talk about getting hired onto that project and meeting Scott Frank and, and, and what was the process? Because, man, the costume design and the clothes that you made for her specifically, but for everyone, was just a, just knocked me out. And I'm curious, where do you? How did you get hired on the project, and and where did you begin? How do you begin designing a film, or a, pardon me, a series like The Queen's Gambit? Um, I, I get hired by the producer, and I I was lucky because I think Scott Frankie loved all Babylon Berlin the full look and he said those people from Babylon Berlin they <laughs> which are the right people for Queen's Gambit and there was also Uli Hanisch the scenographer he was our scenographer also but uh, fortunately for me uh, the costume designer had no time to do that so they were looking for another costume designer and that was the year when I was uh, with Florian Henkel von Donnersmark in the foreign film Oscar nomination with, um, what's the, um, don't look now, no. Oh, sorry, I don't know the English title in this moment. Um, anyway, we had the Oscar nomination. So, uh, was it was uh, ne Never Look Away? Never Look Away, exactly, because our title is completely different. You're right. Never Look Away. <laughs> that was our movie. So, Scott saw uh, both of uh, Florian's movies and he loved both of um, Florian's movies and he loved the costume. So I got the call and we immediately, you know, it was like we talking since years. It, we immediately understood even when we finished after I had the feeling, did I talk German to him? Because I had the feeling it was <laughs> so perfect and it was such a ping pong that I couldn't imagine that. It's like this. And so, uh, yeah, we had like this very good start and he gave me a lot of freedom. So he just said he wishes a effortless look and he doesn't like pattern on people. And this is exactly what I don't like on people pattern. So I thought, wow, that's perfect. Um, well, could you could you explain a little bit more of that? Like, why why don't you like patterns on people? Like, what kind of patterns? Paisleys because, or, you know, because patterns are very attractive. If you have flowers or something, they always drawing your eye into the pattern. Mm. But your eye should not be drawn into the pattern. Or, uh, I you have something written there, so I read this before I look in your face. So, but uh, I think you always should look first in the face there is the emotion yes and so uh, i have nothing against stripes or checks or something like this but uh, actually flourish patterns or uh, really beautiful patterns i find very dangerous that they uh, bring you away from the story and i'm not talking about background pattern or something sure uh, but just on people uh, you you tend to look uh, more in the pattern as in the face and I think every every costume should help to come in the face so I I like piping and framing and all this stuff what uh, brings you more close to the emotion and the face and um, usually nobody says that who is not in costume so but Scott said that and he said yeah an effortless look would be the right thing. And I think this was the only outline what he gave me. Hmm. And then I started to dig in chess because, you know, I, I think always those groups you never hear about, you don't know so much, you are even not interested. They have something what you find when you go deeper inside. So I read some 
Bobby Fischer biography and stuff to understand how the people feel, what they think, what's important to them. I saw a lot of pictures and I found out that they, the way they mix what they dress or the, that what it means to them is much more as you see on the first uh, moment when you look at them. You think it's just a simple t-shirt uh, and uh, some pants, but maybe it's the very favorite t-shirt what they found in a moment and so on and so on. So we created for every chess player a story why he's dressing like this, if mm. it's for luck or if it's from the friend or if he always used this, if he's playing or whatever. And uh, that was very helpful. And then that was all guys, of course. Uh, I went away from this, uh, what that would mean for women. Because there we were totally free. But of course, it doesn't mean, it means something decisive. It means something black and white. It means something sculptural. It means something what is in the chess also in the game, because of course, if you are so, if you are nothing else as a chess player, of course, this chess is your whole life and it will also mirror in the way how you dress. So mm. I try to take out of the chess something sculptural, something, you know, what I find there is something contrasty and bring it in her costume because I think intuitively she would have shoes and stuff like this. Now she goes on. I mean, you're you're documenting her life over a period of years, as she she begins in that horrible boarding school, you know, or wherever she's living, and where where she's going into the basement to be taught by her mentor how to play chess. And uh, what I really kind of loved is her her costumes throughout the film are are definitely taking us on a journey as well. I mean they're they're definitely sort of an indicator of how she feels inside her mental state and mm -hmm. I really thought it was just beautifully done. And was that something that you charted out with your director with Scott Frank about the that she was going to go on a clothing journey as well as an internal journey? Um yeah that was also a bit in the script and mm. you know i i think as she was so terribly alone with herself she always tried to find a group to belong to and uh so she always and she didn't communicate so much but she watched so she always watched the other girls what they were wearing and thinking about how this would be on her and when she was traveling, she learned something more about some colors or something growing up and using her body and so on. So um, I tried to bring all this in to also make a real long journey. This was why we also set the beginning a bit backwards in time. And it was Lexington, Kentucky. And I guess Lexington, Kentucky was not the most modern uh, <laughs> fashionable era in the world. In not time. cosmopolitan. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, to have it a little bit set back and then to move to uh, Paris, what I would say was in this time always five years ahead before the rest of the world. So that could spread the whole journey uh, to a longer journey. And so we could experience more kind of steps of this journey. Now, when you have, I mean, Anya Taylor-Joy is so, she's almost in every scene. Um, and she's absolutely the focus. What's it like when you're working so closely with an actor or actress? How do you develop a relationship with them? Do you have conversations with them? Do you start showing them sketches or designs? And how do you begin that process of working with an actor? Um, I always have a mood board what I show. And usually I start sketches only after the first fitting or I have one or two sketches. But usually I use the first fitting to uh, find the perfect uh, volumes and the perfect colors and the perfect materials or materials that make her stronger, that make her weaker, that do something on her. And uh, after that, uh, 
uh, I uh, do some sketches, but uh, she she was always absolutely involved, and she was uh, so much in love with Beth Harmon that I would say she was Beth Harmon, of course. So <laughs> I would say she knows, of course, best, and I just give her my hand to to go a direction or to show a direction, and uh, we really worked really really closely together uh, and uh, she is so expressive that you could even if she says not a word you could see she feels now like this and it would work here or it wouldn't work not at all so um, it, it was wonderful to work with her. now there's a lot of um there's a lot of green that appears through the series and how was that something that was conscious on your part and and could you talk a little bit about the color palette and then also how you worked uh with the cinematographer the director of photography um because the colors and the just the sets and the design work it all worked so beautifully together uh talk a little bit about the development of the of the color palette and the clothes yeah um there was a overall color palette for the locations and for the traveling because uh scott and uli said every place must have a different feeling through the colors uh that it's not only sitting again and playing chess sitting again and playing chess right. that we really have a journey and uh, something interesting uh by doing all the time the same thing. So Uli made this overall color palette. Mm. And that was always my reference and always on my wall. And I always stick my costumes inside the, his color palette to see how this works. And the green came actually... Um, I thought the most important color is this color from the small girl after the accident, how we see her. And I thought there are only two colors uh, possible, uh, one Napoli yellow and one this light green. And we decided for the light green because we wanted to have something absolutely fragile, lost in the nature, nearly invisible there. And uh, that was the light green. And so this light green became her starting color, but also her most uh, loved connection with mm. her mother because it was the dress where there was still her name and this embroidery what her mother made. So uh, from that moment on, this was her color, what I knew I must bring it back somehow, sometime. And even in this moment, I didn't know that the uh, pills will be light green, dark green. Um, and when I realized this, I thought, okay, we have another reason to bring this back. And for example, we bring this, how she is uh, running in Paris and coming too late uh, in this green and dark green frame dress with the little bow. That was like a running pill because I, I think that was the moment when she was really really most down and her being so deeply down was alcohol and pills so that was fun to have the running pill dress there right and then because it was her home color the green uh we had to come back in the end that mean in moscow and for the last place scott said to me yeah give her something absolutely simple like something she's playing with the friend, not a big dress like war, this is the end of the game. Just, uh, you know, that we see she feels one with herself. So I said, maybe the green again. And so that made the uh, round thing. And we had this elegant, quite simple dress. And that was also very good for the shadows mm -hmm. because the light was also so extremely interesting with this coming from up and throwing these big shadows. Um, and and also in Moscow, we had some other green tones to go step by step back to this uh, home green. Right. And 
uh, also this green brown that was an Uli's color concept for Moscow so there we uh, connected but sometimes also I jumped out of Uli's uh, concept because I thought everybody's like this but she doesn't belong to those people so she has a different color you know uh, how how this was in a storytelling way made sense sure now from what I understand you you and your team handmade 80% of the clothes. Like you you all of these were made by you. Like you didn't or most of them yeah. were. Of Anya's clothes of course and of Ima's clothes of course and uh of uh, for um, you know Borgov's uh, suits were made and, right. uh, and uh for some uh, other roles, there were some things made, but uh, not everything. But uh, just for uh, Bess Harmon, that was 80% made because, you know, you, you find something and you think this is exactly what we want, but unfortunately the wrong size or exactly what we want, the right size, but the colors hmm, don't work for us. So you usually have some references, but uh, or you think uh, this dress and that dress, if we mix it up, it would be exactly the dress what we need. If you go for this storytelling thing uh, in history, you never find the right sizes <laughs> in uh, the rental houses, uh, uh, just very, very few. Um, so we just uh, made us free and made most of the things. Um, did, were you sourcing fabrics from where, where did most of the fabrics come from? Did you have to go to specific places to find those kinds of fabrics or was there fabrics that were hard to find? Yeah, you know, sometimes you are lucky you find something what you never expected. And sometimes you find something very normal and you think, what will happen if I cook it? Would it be interesting? And then you do it <laughs> and maybe you're lucky and it looks interesting, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to find these fabrics. Usually I, I don't take so many fabrics that are really from the 50s or the 60s but i take uh, modern uh, fabrics and make them 50s 60s and sometimes i'm i'm lucky and find something old and i mix it in mm. so um uh usually in coloring washing uh, and doing some processing on the fabrics uh, we come to this that they falling in the way how we wish how they should did you have a favorite uh, one of Beth's outfits, was there something that was your favorite uh, that you had made for her? Hmm. I, I would say uh, there is in Paris a dress uh, what is like camel color and has a dark, actually we call it cross dress. It has a cross over the body and it's like a macro chessboard. And also it's this uh, camel with brown and also the chess boards in the room were camel with brown. And when she was standing there, it looked so beautiful and it's a very elegant and very effortless dress. I really like this. I was kind of proud that we had this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, another thing, I, I think the character of Borgoff, you know, he was almost, I don't know, the Darth Vader the villain of of the piece that she has to to overcome. I mean, she's he's a, a fearsome adversary, and you you talked about you've stated that the color of his suits, like I think it was brown, was unusual to for that that character. And what went into designing Borgoff's look? Yeah, you know, there we wanted something. You know, what is kind of perfect and untouchable and uh, doesn't move when he moves so um, I actually was thinking quite a long time what can be this special Russian suit also she says here yeah, the Russians they have so good soup so I thought yeah hmm, what could that be and then I watched a bit uh, the uniforms and then I mixed up some double-breasted styles they were actually from the 70s and <laughs> uh, some uniform style 
And so we got this suit and um, yeah, um, that was also a really good tailor. She made this suit <laughs> because I sent her the ideas when I was in Canada and uh, she had to have it ready the afternoon when I came back from Canada and he came for the fitting. So that was all very, very uh, short uh, <laughs> timing. Sure. And, and, uh, and yeah, it worked on him. It worked. And uh, he was a very nice guy, actually. He was uh, not such a cool guy as uh, <laughs> uh, So, um, yeah, it, it worked. Well, then fi- the, the, uh, the, another thing, another piece of, of uh, the final outfit that Beth wears at the end of the show, the, like the white, that, that perfect white outfit, what was the inspiration for that and and where did you where did you sort of come up with that look was that something that was in the script or did scott suggest that to you no it was not in the script uh, but uh, steven meisler our dp he showed me usually the little films what he make on the location tour and when he was on this location it was always uh, somebody uh, modeling uh, and running through uh, this way, and he was filming. So when I saw it, I thought, oh, my God, that cubic stuff that looks like a chessboard, and now she's going inside the chessboard. Ah, okay, so she is the chess queen now, and then we realized, okay, yeah, her travel from pawn to queen, uh, how she started in the beginning with this pineapple dress, and now she's queen, okay, we need this queen thing. We told to Scott, Scott said, yeah, it's great, white queen, wow. Uh, but then to to make this and to not make too much Russian babuchka or, I mean, it should... Uh, have also something a bit Russian, but not too much, and not to make it too big, and not to make it a real dressed-up thing, but a little bit bigger than normal. That was a, a long way of. Mm. Sure. <laughs> well, yeah. it was it was fantastic. I mean, the the design of the film is is just wonderful, and uh, your work is 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 beautiful and. Uh, a well-deserved Emmy win for for the show, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's such a striking... I've watched the whole series three times, and wow. the, the, I, I love it so much. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the author of that novel, uh, Walter Tevis. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I grew up watching The Hustler, and he wrote The Color of Money, the sequel that Martin Scorsese directed, and um, they're remaking his novel, The Man Who Fell to Earth, now, and I'm, I just, I, I love the Queen's Gambit. I'd actually read the book before I saw the series when it first uh, had first come out. So I just am a huge, huge fan of your work and and what you did on on the show, and uh, a well deserved Emmy win. Now, you know, after looking at after, you know, to me, the Queen's Gambit is is sort of. As somebody who's worked in the film industry myself, you aspire to do work as good as the Queen's Gambit. I mean, one one of the things I love about the Queen's Gambit is it's a it's a great example of all the departments uh, coming together. Whether it's hair and makeup, costume, the director of photography, the director himself, everybody is working at the top of their game, and you you really get a sense that just how important. Each department is the art department, your department, costumes. I mean, everybody worked. You have to be working together in in yeah. a synergy to create everything in that show because everything was so important. And it was the design elements of it were even even the locations you picked to shoot in was really just extraordinary. And I'm just curious, like when you're working with with everyone like that, are you all? I mean, I know department heads are, you work together, but how important on the Queen's Gambit, were you checking in with the art department every day? And were you talking to your director of photography every day? Like, would you show designs to your director of photography or would you talk to the, the, the production designer? How closely did you work with all the other department heads? Um, 
Yeah, I worked very closely with the production designer together, but more in this that I had all his picture, his colors, his rooms on my wall and always checked what new is coming in so that I know what kind of picture we will have. Um, I very often talk to Stephen and show Stephen and Scott, you know, the fittings and stuff like this. And uh, so, and I understood very early how Stephen's camera is working and mm. um, how he's working with the, uh, you know, like Caravaggio kind of uh, light. Uh, and I loved how he's working. So um, I, I always gave something for this. I mean, I always would say uh, we try to realize the vision of the director, but in Queen's Gambit, it's maybe best uh, happened because Scott was so clear with his vision and mm. on the other hand, so generous with trusting us that we uh, will uh, bring something what is interesting for him. and. Uh, so um, that was a really good combination mm. and it was also very friendly very respectful and it was a wonderful shooting so um, i i think all that uh, is uh, important to have in the end uh, something what you really want to see well it's just extraordinary and it really comes through in the finished in the finished work i mean you know, I think it's in a hundred years, people are still going to be watching the, the the Queen's Gambit. I mean, it's 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 really an extraordinary piece of television, and um, you know, it represents. We we talk about how cinema is moving over to streaming, and I think the Queen's Gambit is an example that you can create extraordinary work. It doesn't matter if it's in the cinema or if it's streaming for Netflix. It's still an extraordinary. It's still extraordinary work. And um, it, it's just a knockout, and it's it's been thrilling to talk to you about about working on it. But now I have to ask you, how can someone prepare today to get into the industry? What what advice could you give to uh, aspiring designers? I mean, now with Instagram and there's so many so much people out there doing all kinds of work. But what can you uh, what what advice do you have for people that are looking to get into whether it's design, fashion design, or or movies, costume designing for film, how does somebody begin that journey, and what advice could you give them? Hmm. I think they always should watch out from who they want to learn. Mm. So the most important in the beginning is that your first teacher in the costumes is a good one because if you start with something where nobody really knows what they are doing you will never be good in the end so if you're no it's not if you're lucky you should watch out with who you want to work and then directly uh, go to these people and say here i am and you are the person i want to learn from i think that that's the first step and then of course, it's important that you uh, have some sense for forms and colors and also some interest in fashion and uh, that you mainly have interest in human beings and that maybe you are more a watcher as a presenter because uh, you learn, of course, more when you watch and uh, as when you talk yourself or present yourself so um, and and of course you should not be afraid uh, before problems you should like problems and you should be ready to find solutions uh, and uh, see a challenge in this because anyway there are so many problems every day and if you like problems because you think wow i can find solution now then it's good people who are afraid uh, by problems uh, <laughs> 
will be overrun because there are too many every day. <laughs> Um, and now what about p people that you, what, what do you look for in collaborators? Like when you find people that you want to work with, what are some of the qualities that you look for in your collaborators? Uh, loyalty is one of the quality. Um, I think I, I always must like, uh, people, uh, I work with and I must like to have them around me because I'm more creative if I feel good as if I feel stressed. So, uh, uh, people around me shouldn't make me stress or shouldn't, you know, I always try to come in one flow and share the same energy and stuff like this. So uh, mostly I'm looking for people I feel good with. And of course they should have their talents. But uh, this, um, you know, that you speak the same language is very important because maybe some very talented person is so different from you and then it uh, doesn't work uh, hmm. out. Yeah, I mean, I just think that, that obviously film is such a collaborative medium that one of the most important things I've always believed is is being able to to work with people you know you really have to have a you really like you said you have to like you have to like human beings and you have to because yeah. after all storytelling is is how we we tell each other things like it crosses international boundaries it crosses language boundaries so you know you really have to i've always believed that in order to work in cinema you have to like people you know, you have to like yeah. human beings. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just and and all, even though we're all crazy, you know, <laughs> it's it's good to work that way. So, you know, I'm curious, what about what's next for you? I mean, after winning an Emmy award, does do people start knocking on your door? Do you get a a, a, a bunch of more projects? What uh, what are some of the things we can look forward to seeing uh, from you coming up? Yeah, I would love if I could tell you now, but I cannot, but... Uh, is it a secret I, or I, you don't know yet? There is something really interesting what I love and what I kind of uh, love the same like I loved Queen's Gambit. So I hope that will work out, but it's too early to talk about. Of course, of course. Now, if you could, if you had a dream project, if there was something that you wanted to do most of all, whether it was a period piece, something in the future, if you could do anything you wanted, what would be a dream project for you to work on? Huh. Interesting question. You know, I always like these kind of groups nobody's talking about. And just recently I thought about the AAs, the Anonym Alcoholics. And I think what they do as a concept that is really super, super interesting and life changing and that could change any life situation. And I think that's really interesting what they do. Never anybody made something about them. And when I say this, most people will laugh and say what is inside this. <laughs> I love I it. Imagine that there could be a really interesting story about them or maybe about the founder of the Anonym Alcoholics or something like this. And, you know, I, I like all the books of um, oh, Water Music and America and what's his name? Um, oh, my God. No, I can't tell you the name. Um, T.C. Boyle. Oh, okay. Boyle. And there are so many books that are, wow, how could he write this? And he has so many strange characters in his books. Every character is such a character that you think how deeply digged he inside himself to find this character. So I would be interested in any kind of any book of T.C. Boyle uh, becoming a movie. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the, the uh, water music, and I, I read the, the Tortilla uh, Curtain, you know, which I, I really yeah. love that book. Um, but, the, but water music, yeah. Um, yeah, water music and America, and uh, that are all, my God, I couldn't, sometimes those people are so terrible, and I think now it's enough, but I can't stop reading it. 
and uh, he has really a way of writing and one really super intelligent person from the movie business once said to me the really good books are very difficult to turn into a script and it's better if you take a book what is just like this and then you can make a good script from this so i it's funny one of his books um uh, my brother gave to me to read which was budding prospects about the marijuana industry the guy was growing pot and and now now that pot's legal in the united states it's kind of i don't know if anybody would make that movie but it it might be fun to see that movie get made (laughs) but he he write also about timothy leary the the light of the lsd experience that would be also a great movie (laughs) a really great movie uh so um yeah all these (laughs) <laughs> that, I mean, that's he's certainly a great author. I mean, you know, they, the Road to Wellville was that was made into a movie. That was that was not yeah. bad, uh, but that's a great. Uh, it's funny that that's a. I mean, he's such an American. I love that you're a fan of T.C. Boyles. I mean, I think that's great. Yeah. I think it's great. <laughs> well, listen, I, I I can't thank you enough for your time. I mean, this has been a great a great conversation, and um, uh to be here on the Designing Hollywood podcast. It's been so much fun to have you. Yeah, it was so much fun to talk to you. I could go on talking hours and hours with you. Well, Thank we, you so much. Oh, we could. <laughs> I, I go hours and hours for you too. Thank you very much to our sponsor for this episode, the United American Costume Corporation. Since 1977, the United American Costume Corporation has been providing period wardrobe to hundreds of motion picture and television projects. United American Costume is located in North Hollywood and is a costume and wardrobe rental house offering original and reproduction clothing from 1770 to 1970. Civilian and military, men, women, and children. Thank you so much to our guest costume designer, Gabrielle Binder, and be sure to check out Gabrielle's beautiful costumes on The Queen's Gambit, which is streaming now on Netflix. Thank you to our executive producer and founder, Martika Ibarra, and co-founder, legendary costume designer, Marilyn Vance. And thank you always to our viewers for tuning in. My name is Robert Meyer Burnett, and you can follow me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at BurnettRM, or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. Thanks very much for tuning in to the Designing Hollywood Podcast. <laughs>